Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. I'm glad that you've chosen to uh, worship with us at InTown this morning. I want to especially welcome our guests. If you're new or visiting with us, I'd love to meet you after the service. We are going through a study of the book of Ephesians, and we're in our fourth week of the study. And we've come to a passage that we actually looked at three or four years ago in another series. And so when I noticed that this week, I thought, oh, great, a free week, no preparation necessary. But actually, that was uh, completely wrong. And as you go back to texts, as you go back to similar passages, you notice different things, and different things jump out at you. And obviously, our churches changed a great deal in those three or four years, and so ended up almost scrapping everything. But if something does sound familiar, either you have a really good memory, or you might be just making it up. But we're going to look at this passage from the perspective of together, of being built together. This is Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me again? Father, as we look at this text, we pray that you would speak your peace over us. Give us an impression of your deep and abiding approval for all of those who are in you. Father, I pray that you would build up in town to be a place where you dwell by your spirit. That each of us here who are part of the community called in town, that we would find you to meet us here that we would find you building us together with the people next to us to become a beautiful dwelling place where you dwell, that's inviting, that's welcoming to others. Father, would you make this to be more and more the case? Deal with us not only as individuals, but as a community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lawrence Light is the chief marketing officer of the corporation McDonald's. And he talks about their own research of the current climate 
and how they market to people. And he says, if you go back 40 years, people wanted to be identified as normal. They wanted the most popular car and the most popular color. But since then, from a consumer point of view, we've changed from I want to be normal to I want to be special. And today our research shows only me has become lonely me. People who don't know the name of their neighbors instead join chat rooms. We've labeled this new error internally as moving from the age of me to the age of I. And by that we mean I'm an individual, but I don't want to feel alone. And in this, people are seeking to answer to what group do I belong? He's getting at this idea, this dynamic, this push and pull between wanting to be an outsider, wanting to be unique, wanting to be special and set apart, and yet at the same time wanting to be an insider, wanting to belong, to have a special place that you know your community, you know the uniform that you're supposed to wear. And if he's correct, while the church as an institution is waning in influence and less and less identified as a primary place to belong, there's still a deep yearning in humanity, in our culture, for the very thing that the church is designed to provide. That is a cosmic place of belonging. And in an age of I, instead of joining a community with a significance and purpose that's larger than one's own concerns, though in the exterior that may be what's happening, I want to sign up for this cause because it's something I believe in, persons in the age of I will be coming with a felt need that's much more personalized and much more individualized. Now, Paul in this passage is pushing against this, and we need to identify some of these trends that we belong to, that we're part of, consciously or not, so that we can understand exactly what Paul is getting at. We're going to look at the blueprint that he lays out for being built together, and then what are the barriers of being built together, the obstacles that you and I bring to this text and bring to the concept that this text is recommending for us. So let's first of all look at the barriers. Before we can get at what the text is telling us, we need to see what objections do I bring? What cultural milieu am I a part of that will hinder me from really understanding and then applying this text? We're four weeks into the study of Ephesians, and so let's just get our bearings for just a moment. The last chapter and a half, Paul's been pulling back the curtain of what's really going on in the world and saying, you need to be a part of this, to recognize this, and to join in this with joy. In the first part of Ephesians 1, we told you that, or Paul told us, that God's grace has been actively at work to bring you into relationship with him. And then secondly, the second part of chapter 1, he tells us of this amazing power that is yours to take hold of if you're willing. And then last week, Steve told, us, Steve told us about how each of us, if we're in Christ, we have been made alive. We have been drawn out of a death spiral and made alive, saved through the gracious work of Christ and not through our own initiative or power. And now... Setting that in order, he gives us the context in which these great truths are to be lived out. That is, in the body of Christ, in the church. And so there's three barriers that I want to look at. The first one, you may have heard me talk about this before, is the the billboard barrier. 
the fact that we tend to use things to advertise ourselves, to promote ourselves. And we're often asking, as we enter into groups, enter into causes, how do I get noticed? In fact, that's the reason that we sign up for certain causes, for political action committees and so forth. I want to be noticed for my distinctive views. How do I get this group to recognize me? How do I get my culture to recognize me? How do I get my needs met? John Locke, who is a professor, not the old philosopher, but a professor at Cambridge, wrote a book called The Devoicing of Society. And he says that the news isn't very good uh, regarding small groups' ability to assimilate individuals into a larger purpose. He cites uh, Robert Wuthnaum, who has found that small groups mainly provide occasions for individuals to focus on themselves in the presence of others. The social contract binding members together asserts only the weakest of obligations. Come if you have time, talk if you feel like, like it, respect everyone's opinions, never criticize, and leave quietly if you become dissatisfied. Now, he's not saying that small groups aren't necessary. In fact, if you read the Bible, it's quite the contrary, that we need to be involved with one another in intimate relational settings. We don't need less than a small group experience. But it's possible to hold regular meetings with one another, with prayer, with sharing, with learning, without creating genuine biblical community. And that our growing isolation and fragmentation and loneliness in our society creates a need for community, but it, create, it means that genuine community is more and more difficult. And the billboard barriers that we tend, we can often tend to use small groups to focus on ourselves in the presence of others. The small group provides a fairly immediate feedback loop on how we're doing on how we're being recognized, on whether people are noticing us. Secondly, there's a busyness barrier, particularly in America. And we have this complicated relationship with busyness because we stay busy to avoid seeming lonely and yet feel lonely because there's no time for deep relationships. And of course, sometimes there's a real need to be busy. We have to provide for physical or, uh, for material necessities. We have seasons of work that are extraordinarily busy, and it's not unfaithful to be busy necessarily. We have a flurry of kids' activities if we're parents, where we're always driving to the next thing and dropping them off and picking them up. We have holidays that we attend to. We have social media that never stops. But doesn't some of our busyness, at least part of it, stem from this need to feel important, to feel sufficient? that meaningful lives are busy lives. You must be busy in order to be meaningful. And technology, social media, of course, this being always on has made this hyper-intense. And the relationships that we're trying to maintain are innumerable. These digital relationships have allowed me to stay somewhat connected with people that I would have lost touch with years ago, and yet, in a certain way, Facebook and email and Twitter and text, though a fine supplement to relationships, they almost train us to relate to uh, others in very cursory, surfacey ways. These tools are, are helpful 
and intrusive at the very same time. And deep, long-lasting friendships where burdens are carried, where conflicts are dealt with, where challenges are undertaken together, where allowance is given to other people to place demands on us and to even challenge our point of view, these things are crowded out and avoided. And then finally, one more, and then let's get to the text as it applies to each of these, the boundary barrier. And this happens after certain elements of a community, certain group dynamics are in place, that once a group or a community or a church is formed, then this instinct for boundary preservation arises. Maintain the status quo. We must protect what is a good thing. And a great deal of Ephesians deals with this. It deals with this wall of hostility, this boundary that the work of Jesus has destroyed. Verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, those former cultural markers have been destroyed and now you are brought into this, by definition, diverse community. You see, the Gentiles weren't excluded by God in principle, but to the Israelites, they were unclean. And to meet with God, they had to join their community. They had to adopt their dress code, their lifestyle. They had to assimilate culturally in order to be a part of the Israelite community. And over time, what happens, and this happens with any community, is that the Israelites begin to think about their relationship with God through these external things, through ethnicity, through their place of worship, through circumcision. And the ironic thing is that this sort of community actually thrives in many ways. You think about ethnic communities that are in large cities around the country and how close-knit they are. You can know that you belong to those very quickly and very easily. And it's very easy also to feel like an outsider. A church with this dynamic can feel very inward-oriented because the priorities of the church are very self-referential, that safety and preservation become the key and become the purpose. And so outsiders have a very difficult time pushing through that boundary. Maybe you can talk about that in your groups this week. What does it mean to belong to your group? What does it feel like to belong to your group? What does an outsider who wants to visit your group, who may not necessarily have all the bona fides, what does it feel like to him or her to come and visit your group? Well, now let's talk. After we've looked at the barriers, you've indulged me for a sociological lesson for a few moments. What does Paul recommend? What is his solution to all of this? How does the Bible's prescription land now in that cultural moment? The blueprint to being built together. And as I said, as we study the Bible, we can't just say, what does the text say? But we have to ask, what assumptions do I bring to the text? What presuppositions, what objections do I place upon? What demands do I place upon the text? We've seen the the billboard, the busyness, and the boundary barriers, but Paul's solutions are purpose and peace and then a person. He says in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. In other words, Ephesian believers, Gentiles, you are no longer 
strangers to this community where God meets with his people, but you now belong. Your fellow citizens, your members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In other words, you have the very same standing as the Jewish people who have enjoyed the special status of being God's chosen people for two millennia with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. What he's saying is that there's a reason that these Gentiles have been brought in to this community. There's a reason they've been joined together. It's for the purpose of rising to be a temple. There's a purpose to your salvation if you've been brought in It's so that you personally can enjoy a relationship with Jesus forever. But it's also to be connected to this greater purpose whereby Jesus is bringing the gospel to bear upon his creation through the church. If you've ever picked up a Lego or played with a Lego, you know that it's designed with very uh, distinct, very attention to detail, with great engineering with precision, zero tolerance for defect. Defect. What are they made for, though, ever? however? They're not made to be scattered on the floor and stepped on in the middle of the night, which almost every parent has experienced. They're made to fit together. They're made to be crafted into something greater, something far more interesting than just individual red and green and blue bricks. Now, you can buy a random box of Legos, that just has tons of pieces. They have, you can just make whatever you want to with them, and that's the cheap way to buy Legos. Now, the expensive way to buy Legos is to buy them in a set. You know, you buy, like, the Star Wars Millennium Falcon, and then your kids put it together once, and then over time it just falls to pieces and ends up in the random Lego box with all the other things, and you've just wasted a lot of money. But see, these sets are cool. These sets are fun because you get directions, and you see this thing taking shape. And it becomes something that individual bricks couldn't be themselves. Each and every brick is made for a purpose within these sets. And if you build it correctly, the attention to detail is even as the Lego factory is packing these boxes, they don't give you any extras. A set can have 500 pieces, and if you put it together correctly, you'll have no pieces left over. Every piece serves a purpose. They retain their individual shape their color, their identity, but they serve as a piece in a larger set. They find their purpose in being united to others to serve in this larger mission, this larger puzzle. The first part of Paul's blueprint that pushes against this instinct to be a billboard, to be self-referential, is that we need a purpose. We need a purpose, a mission We need to be part of something that's larger than ourselves and something that only by being fully ourselves can we truly serve and can we truly fit with the set and fit with the purpose. You see, being apart, being built together doesn't disintegrate your idiosyncrasies. It doesn't disintegrate your personality, your color, your flavor, your size and shape but it fits you uniquely. God has used, has made you in such a way that you fit with other people and you can only be, you can only be that person that fits there. And this is hard. This is very hard because there's pressure from the outside and 
as we said, from the inside. A community, a church, if it's not committed to a big mission, will exert pressure on you to conform, to change you to its predetermined mold, to fit in, to not rock the boat, especially as those, with regard to those things that it identifies as core distinctives. It becomes difficult for people with doubts. It becomes difficult for people who have views that are slightly outside the norm. It becomes difficult for people who dress differently, look differently, come from different socioeconomic ground, backgrounds to be fully accepted and to feel like they fit in this community. And then there's inward pressure because we identify those things intuitively. We know what they are, and if we're using a community for self-affirmation to billboard, to advertise ourselves, then we'll fit in. We'll figure out what are the, what are the demands, and then we'll cave to those things. And if we, or if we don't get the validation we're looking for, we'll leave. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. For what? Why? What's the purpose? In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What kind of dwelling does God live by his spirit? It's a a dwelling place in which all the pieces fit together, know their purpose, and that their purpose is larger than just themselves. Jesus is saying, look, I've brought you near. I've laid down everything for you. I have given you the very insider status that you're looking for. You've been included in the place where he's building his people together to become a house where God dwells by his spirit. And it's in pursuing, it's in understanding this larger purpose, this mission, where you'll be set free from having to seek others' validation from needing constant affirmation, from needing approval from other people. And this is the place where a church community can be set free from always exerting pressure on its members to conform into a certain mold. And thus, what what will it feel like? It will feel safe. It will feel inviting. It will feel welcoming, like Jesus. For he says to all of us, all of us misfit toys... I have brought you near. I have reconciled you. I have given you access to God. I've made you members of his household. There's a Discovery Channel documentary called When We Left Earth, and it's about the Gemini and Apollo space program. And Frank Borman was uh, the captain of the first crew to circle the moon. And imagine how difficult that must have seemed in the the late 60s. They thought that they had a one-third chance of surviving. One-third chance. That's pretty high to then sign up and say, okay, I'll go. But he says nothing was more important than the mission. Not our safety, not our lives, not our family. There's no question, he says, that if it was a coffin, I'd have flown it gladly. The gospel doesn't eradicate our personality, our individuality, but it fits us into something far more beautiful and more compelling. We need a mission to push against this instinct to be a billboard for ourselves. What about busyness? 
Oh, we need peace. We need peace. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And he goes on to use these use nine active verbs, and they're all what Jesus Christ does on behalf of his people. In other words, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, to be a Christian is to be included, to be drawn in. You are included on, in, in the action. And it's not about what you do to get there, but what is done to you, on behalf of you. Then there's five passive verbs. You remember your grammar classes? That's action that's being done to you, that you receive. You're being brought in the action, brought into the action. He says you're brought near. You're given access by the Spirit. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You're joined together. You're built together. Five passive verbs by which people have their lives transformed. It's what God has done in their lives. You see, the problem with our busyness, it's really not our calendar. It's really not our to-do list. It's really not our schedule. Although it's important to think through those things. Am I overextended? Am I overcommitted? Do I have too many things going on? But the real problem of busyness isn't our calendar. It's our busyness of heart. It's that our heart, our inner person, is not at rest. And the solution is discovering what it means to be in him, to finding his peace within a redemptive community. It's to come, friends, and find rest for your souls. This is what Jesus is busy doing. Verse 14, he claims that he is our peace. Verse 15, he claims he is making peace within these redemptive communities and therefore in your individual lives. And then 17, he's proclaiming peace. This idea of well-being, of peace for the soul, of the great Hebrew word shalom. That is everything in its right order. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. All this so that Jesus might reconcile both of them and bring them together. Imagine what obstacles the Jews and Gentiles had to coming together. These hundreds of years of separation, intentional separation, and mutual distrust, and now they're reconciled and being thrown together in an actual physical body. You see, it's not an abstract thought. It's something that actually had to happen for them to experience the peace of Jesus. They had to sit next to one another and do mission together and follow God together. They were thrown together, and they had to then experience peace through that diversity through bringing those differing opinions and different cultural backgrounds to bear and assimilating them into a community where diversity was actually an asset. You may have been saved outside the church and by some miracle, but to, to experience that salvation, you have to come in. You have to be a part. Becoming a Christian is giving up any, every claim upon God except Jesus' life and work on your behalf. It means 
severing ties with any and all means of self-justification and instead being granted access, being given peace, being made alive. And you can only come to fully understand and experience those things that you, you can only come to fully understand those things that you use for self-justification when you see Jesus in the context of a real community giving grace to those who don't have those things. The only way to see that Jesus has fully forgiven you is when you begin to practice forgiveness towards other people. Only when you come into the community and you have to work out the gospel do you fully understand it and grasp it. And so your solution, solution to busyness is not a vacation. Vacations are good. It's not ultimately eliminating things from your calendar, although that may be good and necessary. But it's finding rest for your souls. It's finding peace, real peace. And that peace comes through a person. And that's the final point. One of the, bar- the third bar- barrier to being built together is this idea of a boundary, maintaining boundaries. But then, what's the solution? It's a person. Peace is not an abstract concept. It's personal because it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. The church, then, is not primarily a strategy, a program, an educational system, a place where you encounter disembodied ideas. Peace doesn't come by fiat, but by encountering the person the relational person of Jesus. And who is this Jesus? Who is this person? Well, he's the one who says that he is king over you, that he makes claims over every aspect of your life. And yet, how does he do that? Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes peace, peace. That's what makes church church. It's through the cross. It's that the cross and the work of Jesus is at the very center of individual lives and at the center of the community. At the center of in town, it must be that there's a person who loves each of us and us collectively so much that in spite of all of our faults and all of our sins and all of our selfishness, that he goes to the cross so that you and I can be included in. Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That that's when you experience peace, is when you see this diverse group of people, diverse sinners, being brought together and being given grace being given the gospel, and then living life together, that that's how you begin to experience peace, that it doesn't just float down out of the sky, that the Spirit uses your real life and your relationships to bring you peace. We all have our approved communities that we're a part of. We all have our uniform that we wear of our preferred community, whether it's the the business suit or it's the kind of half-put-together clothes of the alternative hipster, which actually they spend a lot of time looking, trying to look like they didn't spend any time on their clothes, whether it's the business suit or whether it's the outfit of the alternative hipster, whether it's 
a goth teenager or whether it's a, a preppy frat boy. We all know what it takes to belong. We're all looking for ways to belong. And we all know what it mean, feels like to be the outsider. We all know what it feels like to exclude someone because they don't have the proper credentials. But you see, for us, Jesus became the ultimate outsider. He was crucified outside of town so that you and I could be brought in, so that you and I could be included. And when that's the center of who we are, our responses to differences are very different. It radically undermined in this community those who look to their cultural heritage, to their conformity with the law, to their circumcision as their ticket in. They had to receive these formerly pagan, unclean, hayseed Gentiles into their community and welcome them and say, you belong, you're one of us, because Jesus is at work in your life. One quote, and then we'll end. Rowan Williams, who is the former Archbishop of Canterbury, I've been reading a book on, from him called The Wound of Knowledge, and it's just been phenomenal. But he says in the first chapter, the unselfing involved in union with Christ's death is made real in the public and social world. The displacing of the ego becomes a giving place to others. As God has given place to all in his Son. We love because we are loved, because our place with the Father is secured by Jesus. We know ourselves accepted without qualification and so have no need of the self-assertive struggle to win a place, a status, a justification. We have understood that the final security is God's gift and therefore that others will equally find their security in gift in our humility, in our emptiness, in service to them. May that be so here at In Town. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your work. We are grateful for your love. We are grateful for your life lived on our behalf and on behalf of your world. Let us be co-workers with you. Let us offer to others the reconciliation that you have offered to us, that you have given us. And let us live out that reconciliation as we go about our lives. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.